Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Pastor Randy welcomes back Greg Boone, CEO of Look Up Lodge Christian Camp. In addition to bringing today's word from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Greg Boone was also the guest speaker for this year's Pursuing Passion Weekend. So join us now as Pastor Randy gives a quick recap of what our 8th through 12th graders experienced at Pursuing Passion and welcomes back Greg Boone. Here's Pastor Randy. Well, you can elbow bump the people around you. You can wave if you're an introvert. We are so glad you're with us today. Um, You can be seated. Greg's going to have you stand back up in just a minute. Um, If you would have told me last March when we obeyed the governor's orders to shut down, and by the way, we have sought to be a church that did this within the bounds of what the doctors in our church were telling us to do and the nurses, and we just remain thankful that, uh, that we've, gone, we've come through this with no real incidents. Um, I, I just, um, in terms of at the church, listen, this doesn't mean that we haven't had, we've not been scarred. We've, we've had pain. We've got people in this room that have been hospitalized. Um, but but um, we're so thankful that, that we've not had this spread here. Thank you for doing the things we've been asking you to do, that, the, that, that our governor and, and our health departments have been asking us to do. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate that. We're close, church. We're close. Uh, I will tell you this. We are, our plans at this point is, if the weather's right, Easter, we're gonna do one big service outside and we are gonna party on. Um, so uh, that's our hope and our prayer. So we will have an it, we will, if you're online still, we are gonna, our plan at this point is we're gonna do a Saturday night service. We're gonna record that, but Sunday we'll be live outside. So that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. If you'd have told me March that we would have had the biggest middle school fallout from New Hope, I would not have believed you. If you would have told me we would have 92 high schoolers here for, for pursuing passion. We've never approached that number before from New Hope in high school. And God is blessing that. I'm so thankful. Now, some of this, we do have the best looking student director in the country. Uh, she's right there. All right. So, um, so I'm so thankful for the team and for Cindy, for Patrick, for, for Josh. Yesterday, our, I mean, we had these amazing school counselors come in and talk with our, our parents and, and an attorney spoke with our parents on, on uh, Friday night. Yesterday, the, the girls had a great time. I don't know what y'all were talking about, but every time I walked by, y'all were laughing. Uh, and, and so it sounded like it was great. For the guys, we were talking about a man, is, a man can control his lusts and his fears. This is who we had doing that. We had, we had a Purple Heart veteran. We had the former... Uh, world's heavyweight bench press record holder. We had our two student ministry leaders that are veterans, and I'm so thankful for that. And we had the commander of Navy SEAL school um, call in, and they got to talk with our young men about that. And just so thankful for the level of people that God is, I think he's doing something here. I think he's doing something here. And I'm just so excited about that. So thank you all for hanging with us in this season. Um, 
I don't think this weekend was without a lot of work. I know it was a lot of work. I, I know it was a lot of prayers. And, and, I, and I don't want to take any joy away from anybody here in telling you this. But I found out yesterday, I didn't know before. I found out yesterday Josh had been fasting for seven days leading up to this high school event. He's our high school director, our high school minister. He'd been fasting uh, in anticipation for that. Listen, that's how dry bones rattle, church. That's how dead things come alive. When God's people get serious and when you have Greg Boone preaching. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know anybody that's had a bigger impact in, in terms of just keeping the gospel at the forefront of this family of churches. And, and I'm gonna be honest with you, if we need what Greg is, our kids needed what Greg is saying right now more than ever before. And I'm so thankful. But before that, we got Don and Regina. Would you guys stand up? All right. They, uh, these are our newest elders, Don and Regina Harris. And we are so glad you're here. Last year, uh, and we'll, we're going to give you a chance next week to, to speak a little bit. So I didn't want to throw that at you. Regina's like, don't throw that. Don't make me, don't do that to me like without letting me know. But honey, I have ADD and it works this way sometimes, okay? But I promise you we'll, we'll have a lot of fun. So, but we, um, last year, just in, in terms of what the congregation had, had said in terms of nominations and stuff, Don was, Don was someone that the congregation overwhelmingly said, uh, we want Don to be an elder here. And we had prayed about this, and, but then uh, the key favors were so thankful to stay on in a season of a lot of change. So we didn't we didn't add new elders last year. Uh, I love I love the Harrises. Um, it's their story, not mine. Um, they know how to walk with God through painful times, and 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 they've seen God's faithfulness in things that are hard days. And uh, so looking forward to thank you guys. Welcome, glad you're here, and we're so glad. Greg Boone is here. Come on up here, baby. It's your time. It's your time. Do you need a bigger, you need a bigger fanfare that you were just, no, you I were hanging not. out over there. So we're glad you're here, Greg. I absolutely do not need a bigger fanfare. I do not need that at all. Quite the opposite of all that. Well, I, um, in the first service, I spent way too much time apologizing for the message and barely got to the end of it. Uh, I'm not even sure I did get to the end of it. I ended. Stop. You know, when the band gets up behind you and starts playing, you got to stop. That's just all you can do in there. So uh, I'm going I'm to jump in a little faster. Uh, now, um, turn to Micah 6 8, a book I'm sure you were reading just last week. Towards the end of the Old Testament, I'll give you a second to find it. I always appreciate it when I've been in services and the pastor says, turn to a passage. He's already got it marked and he opens to it before I've had time to go to the front of my Bible and look on the table of contents and see what page it's on in there. It, it's on 1,333 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. <laughs> Toward the end of the Old Testament there. <clears throat> Micah 6, 8. 
Stand if you would. I'm reading out the ESV. If yours reads a little differently, if you have a different translation, they're all they're pretty similar. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. I thought, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let me read it one more time. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? Thank you. What I spent too much time apologizing for, and I won't spend as much time on it here this morning, but I will tell you that the, the two things that he wants me to communicate this morning are very much on the edge of me, very much on the edge of who I am. I, I tried my best to get out of this message. Uh, I, I reminded him I had some that were better. Uh, and I preached a great one. I preached a great one uh, just uh, back during our winter camp. Uh, and it's the one that I was going to bring. It was one I was, I was thinking when Randy first asked me. I thought, yeah, I'll bring that one. And it's, um, it's a good one. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically the idea that the, what the real hero of our story always is. And the real hero of our story always comes cleverly disguised as a, as a villain. Uh, the real hero of the story is usually comes as a thing we're trying to avoid or kill or get away from. Because the real hero of our story is always a crisis, if you stop and think about it. I mean, we appreciate the story of the fireman running into the burning building, but what's the story without the burning building? There's, there's no story. There's nothing heroic about it. Even acts of kindness are only as heroic as there is an element of sacrifice that's made. Kindness is great, but it, it, it doesn't raise to the level of heroic. Unless, of course, again, there's, there's, it's, it's a big act and there's a big sacrifice on the, on the person's part who's doing just even a simple act of kindness. So it's a great message. You should get it and listen to it sometime. But it's not the one. And when I say that this message uh, this morning is on the edge of me, I mean flat out on the edge of me. So much so that I said it. it it almost feels like a bunch of jumbled thoughts. Most of the scriptures in here I have outlined for this message, I didn't even open my Bible and look at. We'll look at maybe one or two of them here. But it is what God once said this morning. Again, I know that. I know that whenever I try to get out of it and he doesn't let me out of it, then it's, I, I, that's good confirmation. Basically, it's two things. One, the first one, is that it, it really wasn't that long ago. When I say not that long ago, weeks ago that I would have said it was enough, it was enough for a group of people, however many, how many are in here? How many people? Somebody give me a guess, my terrible at numbers. 200, 200 people, I'll say 200 people. For 200 people to, as a church body of 200 people, for you guys to individually walk with God well, that'd be enough. And I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that's enough. I believe, I believe you have to walk well as a group of people. And I believe, that's, I believe that's actually the greatest signpost to the truth of the gospel. I think that's what Peter is alluding to in his letter. That it's not you walking with Jesus and you and you and you. It's you walking with Jesus. Now, let me say this. Let me say this in the front end of this. Before it can be misunderstood. I am not, I am not advocating 
for what is called a social gospel. I'm not advocating for that at all. That, that term, particularly in some evangelical circles, that term carries a lot of weight and baggage, some of it well-deserved. Sometimes when people hear social gospel, they, they're reminded of churches that spend more time talking about recycling than they talk about redemption. I know some of those. I've seen them, been in them. Or maybe it smacks of a little bit of socialism in a sense. We're talking about social gospel, and I'm not advocating for that. I'm way not advocating for that. Um, way not advocating for that on any front, particularly. There's a great book. If you want to know how much I'm not advocating for that, there's a book, an old book that you should get and read called The Road to Serfdom. There's two big economic giants that battle with each other. This guy wrote one, and what we're getting ready to do is completely align ourselves with the other one. And I'm not in that guy's camp. It's called Kinsey, and I'm not in his camp. I'm in this other camp. It's socialism, really. What he said was the road to, road to serfdom. So I'm, it's not that. And sometimes, again, social gospel can start to smack a whole lot of works theology. Where it's the idea that I'm gonna do certain good things, I'm gonna do good deeds and check the boxes, and God's up there checking the boxes too, and that's what earns me favor with him. So I, I wanna say, on, again, I'm not advocating for that. All right, I'm not arguing for a social gospel. Let me tell you what I'm arguing against. You ready? An overly privatized gospel. You might say, what's the difference? Yeah, that's kind of the trick. What has happened, and there's people who track back historically to certain theological systems and frameworks as to where it started. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, we got this idea that I think has really corrupted us. One, I, I, I preached about last time I was here, and it is the idea that Jesus died on a cross so that you can go to heaven one day when you, when you die. And I, no. And I think I made a decent enough case, go back and listen to it, that that's not true. That's, that's not what it's about. You, you will strain, strain to find that idea in Scripture, Old Testament or New. You really will. It's just not there. This idea that what Jesus came to die on a cross for is, is, is solely, exclusively, so one day when we die, we can go to heaven. That's not it. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. It's, it's, a, it's a consequence. It's a natural outflowing, but it's not the objective. The objective of the cross was that you and I could be reconnected to our creator. When? Now. That's why eternal life in Scripture is, is spoke of in the present tense, not the future tense. Life is you and I being reconnected to God. Eternal life is you and I being connected to God forever. You and I get reconnected to God, thus eternal life begins the very second we trust Jesus. That's what it's about. The gospel is not for people who don't want to go to hell. The gospel is not for people who want to go to heaven. That's everybody. I don't understand the narrow road then. <laughs> it's a broad road that wants to go to heaven. It's a broad road that doesn't want to go to hell. I promise you that. But it's a narrow road for those who want to do life with God. Unfortunately, it's a very narrow road for those who want to walk Monday with God, for those who want to walk on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and even Friday and Saturday night with God. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to give us an opportunity to walk deeply and passionately with our Creator. This is the emphasis of Scripture. 
I mean, a cursory reading of Scripture, and you're going to come away with this idea. Just think about it in terms of even the epistles. I mean, what is Paul telling them in Philippians? What's he telling them? Hunker down and wait till you die and go to heaven? Or is he giving them deep instruction about how to actually live this Jesus thing, this new life, how to live it out every day? You know the answer. What's he telling them in Ephesians? What's he telling the church at Corinth? Hey, just sit down and wait till you die. It's going to be awesome. No, he's telling them, here's how you now live out this new connection to God. Here's how you start to push this into the practical realities, to the DNA of every part of your life. That's what he's telling them over and over and over again. Heaven, is, it's, it's, it's in there, it's talked about, but it's, you, you won't find a handful of verses in the New Testament talking about what happens after we die. The dominance of Scripture is about Monday, tomorrow, meaning that metaphorically. Over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. What Scripture is entreating us to is to live a deep, passionate life with God, connected to Him. Now, here's the thing. Up until very recently, again, weeks ago, weeks ago, and I don't like delivering messages that are weeks thoughts in my mind, but weeks ago, I would have said, I literally would have said it was enough. It was enough for you to walk well as an individual with God. Even 200 of you coming in here to walk well individually with God. It's not that I didn't understand the idea of community. It's not that I understand the importance of a community of people representing God well, but I probably would have put them kind of on equal footing. You know, I could have preached a message how important, it, you know, it's important for you to walk with God, but you know, it's really important for you and you and you and you to walk with God. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can't walk with God unless you are and you are and you are and you are. I, 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 get, I get that. It's true. But I've changed that recently. I'm following some crumbs out in Scripture that are leading me to a very different conclusion. That why it's very important that you walk with God and you walk with God and you walk with God. Absolutely, of course, important. The real testimony to the truth of Jesus to this community, to Lawrenceville, it's not you walking with God and you walking with God, you walking with God. The real testimony is you walking with God. That there's something, there's something that we've got to work out and figure out on how as a community of people, as a group of people, as we interact, you ready? With each other, with each other, exceptionally well, that becomes the number one signpost. Again, to use that phrase, signpost that the gospel is actually real and true. What did Jesus say? I don't even need to, I don't need to turn to this passage. You guys know it. You know it. When I, as soon as I start to quote, most of you know. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for... Isn't that fascinating? Make sure you hear what he said. He did not say, they will know you are my disciples by how well you love them. Isn't that fascinating? By how much we love each other as they look at you. Loving each other, not you even loving them. It's, now, we're, we should, listen, love people. Yes, be kind to them. Be gracious to them. We're told to be full of grace towards nonbelievers. You can take the two by four upside a brother's head. You do not do it to nonbelievers. You do not have that permission to nonbelievers. You do not. 
You can really get up, you can get up in the grill of a brother and sister in Jesus. You do not do that to non-believers. Full of grace, grace overflowing to non-believers. And you know, you know why, I didn't say this in the first service, but how mad do you get at a blind person for stepping on your feet? You get all up in their grill. I get so aggravated at church people getting so mad at lost people who are consistently acting like lost people. Fascinating to me. What we should be upset about is redeemed people not acting like redeemed people. And we have, we're full of grace towards that one. We won't say a darn thing. Well, you know, speak the truth in love. And what you think love is is never speak the truth. No, 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 no. Full of grace. Full of grace. Full of, but, but it's not our love for them. Matter of fact, you, 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 you got to check your love for them just a little bit. One of the prophets spoke. He said, why, why, do you, why do you love people who hate me? Why are you loving people that hate God? Why are you loving people that hate your king and hate your kingdom? Gracious towards them, kind, even benevolent. But be careful love in terms of how much of the affection of our heart we might give to people. How much we might love people who really hate our Jesus. Be careful. Kind. Again, there's a line there. There's a line there. But what's fascinating is that the mark of discipleship is somehow people are supposed to look at us collectively and see something so radically different in how we interact with each other that is a profound testament that Jesus is actually Messiah, that the gospel is actually true. Now, I, I was having a conversation with somebody after the first sermon, and I wish I'd had it before the first sermon because they would have got a good insight that in talking to him gave me. In some ways, when we were sitting there talking, I thought, well, that just kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, if somebody comes and sees how we are with each other and it looks like just like everything else in their world, why should they think there's anything special about us? Like if that's what, well, that's what my marriage is like, so on you. I mean, that's what it's like at work for me. That's how I grew up. But when they see us, when they see that something has been so radically done in us that we are so different with each other, then they go, huh, huh, look at how those people are. Look at how those people are. Now, I'm big on what's called the attraction model. The attraction model, right? Been talking about it for decades. You know, that we would do things and events and services that would attract non-Christians, into our, into our events and into our buildings. I'm big on the attraction model. I think it's time for the church to radically rethink what's actually most attractive to the world. I'm just not convinced that it's a lot of what we think it is. I'm, I'm big on the attraction model. I'm big on the attraction model. I think we just gotta start thinking about what's really attractive, what's genuinely attractive. There's a guy I know, I've met him a couple of times, Real famous guy. I, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. I like a lot of, he's had a big influence on my life through his writings and sermons and I listen to his podcasts and well known. I won't say his name. He's, he's in this area. He's around here, right? And I heard him say one time, I heard him say one time, he said, all we're trying to do at the, you know, his church, said, all we're trying to do is make a church that non-Christians would like to attend. And I thought, eh. Yeah, all right, I get that. I see that. And I honestly think he has done that as well as it could be done. Not just in terms of production. Their budget's about 
$30 million. They do okay. Producing stuff. They produce a lot of stuff. They produce stuff for $30 million. I could do a lot with $30 million in case you want to know. If you just want to. I mean, you would believe what I could do with $30 million. But also in terms of just some genuine integrity of what they do. I don't think they get on the edge of overly frivolous or... What we're trying to do? All we're trying to do? My church is make a church that non-Christians want to attend. And I heard that. It stuck in me a little bit. 6.30 the next morning, I'm up and I call a friend of mine because I know he's up early too. And I just gave him that quote from this guy. He said, yeah, yeah, I know it's probably this. I said, but that's not what I want to do. Like, I literally have no interest in that whatsoever. Like, like I wouldn't do that for $30 million. Honest to goodness. If you said, he's, he's going to retire, come take his place, but this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to spend the $30 million. We'll give half of it to you if you'll come over here. I would say no. Well, I might say yes for one year. <laughs> Live in a van, bank all the money, then say no. Then resign and go do the things I want to do with the $15 million they want to give me. I said, no, I'm not going to. I really wouldn't. I, really, you, I, I wouldn't do it. For a million-dollar salary, I wouldn't go over and do it. It's not what I want to do. I have no interest in creating a events and programming that non-Christians want to come to. Let me tell you what I'm passionate about. I am passionate about being used by God to help create Christians that non-Christians really like being around. Oh, man. And that doesn't cost $30 million, by the way, just in case you know. You and I can do that for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. That's still too much money, but <laughs> I don't know. Just and again, again, again. Here's the shift. Here's the shift. And I can't give you any practical application of this or not. It's too raw, and I wouldn't anyway. That's not that's not my role here. I I purposely would not come in to this place and give you practical application of what you're supposed to do. That would that would be a little sermon malpractice for me to be able to do that. You gotta. You got to sort this out. I'm, I'm counseling some guys on some intimately right on their camp, you know. And I, I'm very, I'm very hesitant every time what we're doing. I can give him the principles. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving him many examples because he's got to figure this out for himself. What he needs to do, what the Lord's leading him to do. Don't, don't try to copy what we're doing. I wouldn't give you a lot of practical, I, I, but I can't. I just can't give you a lot of ways on how you're going to work this out. I, all I can tell you is, you got to work this out. You got to figure out. You got to figure out how it is that we, you guys as a body of believers, can so, so be consumed with how you are as a community of believers that non-Christians get a little whiff of it and they are fascinated to know more about this Jesus. It has to be happening in a youth group. If we, got, if we can get teenagers, if we can get teenagers that interact with each other in such a radically different way than all the other teenagers around them, then I'm, there's just something about that. I really believe that's the number one witness in the community. I want you doing Jesus. I want you to know how to share your faith with Jesus. But there's something about if we're going to really advance the kingdom in Lawrenceville aggressively, aggressively, there's this internal focus. I know that sounds so contradictory. Somehow with an internal focus on us, how we live and how we interact so wonderfully with each other, and, and, and somehow 
having the doors open, having people see this, figuring out ways that we can very publicly display that to people. For the third time, it's the signpost. I really believe that's the signpost that the gospel is real and true. Let me give you a principle, one principle of how you do this collectively, something to focus on. And I'm gonna give you more some studying to do. <laughs> he said to me, he said, well, first of all, I gotta go. he, you said you weren't even gonna be in the second service. You forgot they made you be here, didn't they? He said, I'm gonna go home and study now after what you said. I gotta go look this up. And I think it's right here. I think it's right here in the, in the verse that we looked at. That not just individually that we would do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly, but somehow as a group of people, we start really looking at particularly that first word, justice. Again, I will not have time to unpack it. I don't know that I could even thoroughly verbally unpack it. It's in my head a little bit, but I've not had enough time with it to get it from my head to my mouth and into your ears and have it make any sense whatsoever. But I'm, I am becoming increasingly convinced that the Bible is not a book primarily about love and grace. I've come to the place I think the book is primarily about justice. I really do. Now, when I say primarily, listen to me, when I say primarily, I can mean 51%, 49%, okay? I don't, it doesn't mean 90, 10. 90, 10%, no, primary, just the, the little uptick. And when I talk about justice, I wanna be perfectly clear. I am not talking about the way that we think of Western justice in terms of just punishment or in our judicial system when we're, we're talking about things that are just, just punitive justice. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about justice that's more in line with the word that Jesus, when he, when he, when he prays for his guys and he says, bring peace, my, my peace I give you, I'm wondering, I know we say he spoke Aramaic, which has always been interesting to me why a Jewish boy was running around speaking Aramaic, but okay, I'll trust the scholars on that. I'm wondering if in that moment he didn't say the Hebrew. And what's the Hebrew that we all know? What's the word we know for peace? Shalom. Shalom is one of those words in the Hebrew that is very, very difficult to translate into the English. We just don't have an equivalent for it. It does mean peace, it does mean comfort, but it means a lot more than that. It means a whole lot more than that. And it's just one of those things, it's just hard to, to say, well, what's the thing? It means more than the absence of conflict. Jesus is not looking at this guy and saying, I wish to you the abs my absence of conflict. All right? I think the closest we could get, and I reserve the right to change this in five minutes when I've studied something else. Right? But for right now, I think the closest we could get to that idea, that idea of shalom, is flourish. That when we say shalom, it's, it's a flourishing. When I talk about you being as a community of people, being about justice, what I am referring to it's what was one philosopher called first order justice. Things just being right. Things being as they should. That, that what you would strive for, that what you would strive for in a community is that things in Lawrenceville would be as they should. That people, non-believers, even non-believing people would be treated as an image bearer of God should be treated. 
There's a lot of stuff on the news, man. There's a lot of stuff on the news. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it all goes away. All of it. The, the big stories on the news, it all goes away. If everybody in those stories sees the other person as an image bearer of God, you just treat people differently. When you first inform, in their lost condition, broken, angry, mad, vicious, image bearer of God. When I look, when I look around the world and I think about justice, I'm not thinking about prisons and I'm not thinking about, no, no, I'm thinking about the orphan and the widow. Genuinely disenfranchised people. Genuine, which I, I, I don't, I need to say this and I want to be wrong, I want to be wrong, I want to be wrong, I want to be wrong. We're gonna have more and more disenfranchised people. It is not gonna go the other way. It's, it's well-meaning. Whenever lost people are well-meaning, <laughs> when people who aren't in the kingdom start trying to really bring the kingdom, whoo, watch out. That always backfires. When people not under the lordship of the king is well-meaning, grab some kingdom principles about how to take care of things. Just watch out. It will always be a train wreck. It'll all, it has throughout. We have lots of, it'll always be a train wreck. Their very attempts to bring justice, equity, eliminate some, is going to create it on steroids. And I, can't, I don't even need to, I can show you some practical reasons why. I don't even need, I'm just telling you. When, let me say it again. When people who aren't in the kingdom start trying to bring the kingdom principles, it is not going to go well. But that is not an excuse for the people who are in the kingdom to not try really hard to start bringing the kingdom principles. Just because you're not going to elect somebody who can get it right. Maybe the elect should get it right. Now, that's not in my notes. Somebody needs to write that down and email that back to me. I cannot take notes of myself up here as I'm preaching the sermon, and that's a pretty good line. I'm one of, my little reform buddies love it. They just love, They think that's the greatest thing that's ever been said in the world. Let me give you a line of thought, and I'll leave you with this. There's a word, there's a Greek word, and I will mispronounce it, but so will everybody else because it's a dead language and no professor actually knows how to pronounce it. The, the, oh my gosh. I, you know, I actually practiced this. I actually looked it up online and said pronunciation, and it still will not stick in my head. I do not have an ear worth anything. The chaos, the chaos, and then it, it can be an adjective adverb. Here's what's interesting. And this is, you can do your own line of study on this. This would be fascinating. Again, I'll leave you with this. You are at Georgia, University of Georgia, and if they offer a, a, a class on classical Greek, I don't know if they do, but if they offer one, just classical Greek. No, just, and you will, you'll study things like Plato's Republic, right? You will see that word over and over again in Plato's Republic, and they will tell you the word means justice. That's what it means. Unarguably, just justice. Plato's Republic is about the Republic bringing justice. Justice. Now, you graduate from there and you go to seminary and you start taking New Testament Greek, you will see the same word in your English Bible. It will almost always be translated righteousness. It is a fascinating study for you to go and start looking at that word again and saying, now wait a minute, why was it righteousness and not justice here? 
what you will find is a lot of places justice will actually make more sense. My, my, my emphasis is going to be, my emphasis is gonna be, we tend to think of like justice, Old Testament, love and mercy, New Testament. My point is this, it's, no, it's justice and justice. Love and mercy are justice and doing justice is love and mercy. You cannot bifurcate the two things. I'll give, you, I'll give you one little sample here and I'll close with this. Just one of the things you'll find. Where it says in Matthew, the righteous, right? Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. The righteous, you know, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Guess what Greek word is used there? Yeah. How about subbing in the word justice? How about those who thirst and hunger for justice? How about those who are persecuted because they go after justice? When's the last time somebody persecuted you for righteousness? For being a good person? We don't persecute, you know what we do with, you know what our culture does with righteous people? It admires them or ignores them? Pretty much ignores them. But stand up for justice. You get persecuted for justice? Ask, ask the late Dr. King what happens when you stand up for justice. Ask Nelson Mandela what happens when you stand up for justice. Well, no, righteousness means to right living, and you gotta take a stand for right living out in the world. Okay, let me help you here. That's justice. Righteousness is a virtue. Justice is a social contract. When you try to take righteousness out into the world as a social contract, you've left the realm of righteousness. You're now doing justice. It's justice. I think it would be very, 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 very powerful for us as a group of believers to start thinking through this idea and start looking at our language of how much as a body of believers we are going to represent Jesus Christ by striving for in Lawrenceville justice. Things being made as right as we can help them be made. Father, thank you so much for the love that you have for us, a love that genuinely exercised justice. You gave punitive justice on the cross so that you could give us a sense of justice now, that you could bring us back into right bearing with you, that we could literally flourish, flourish in our relationship with you, in the depth of our relationship with you. Father, it's my hope and my fondest hope and dream that this body of believers will be a group of people who represent you well. Not a group of individual people who just represent you well, but a group of people who represent you well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thanks for joining us. I'm Myrna Brown.